Entrepreneurs often have similar characteristics. Energy, passion, vision. But why do some soar to success while others struggle to climb? Less than 2% of women-owned businesses in North America ever achieve a million dollars a year in annual revenue. Why is that? And how do we dramatically increase that number? Welcome to Breakthrough with your host, Sarah Roach-Lewis. Sarah offers conversations with the ambitious women entrepreneurs in that 2% to help you break through. Now, here is Sarah Roach-Lewis. Well, hello, ambitious one. Thank you for joining me for the very first episode of Breakthrough. As you heard in the intro, Breakthrough is for women who are ready to grow their business to the next level. You may have a bold or secret desire to hit the million dollar mark and beyond in your business. You may be well on your way or just starting out. Regardless, this show is for you. My plan is that guests on this show will inspire you, make you laugh, help you get through the hard days, and remind you to celebrate the milestones along the way. When the producers of Voice America reached out and asked me to host this show on their network, I was so thrilled because I have this secret desire to be a podcaster since I heard my very first one. You see, I love talking to women, digging into what makes them tick, what challenges they have, and most importantly, how can we learn from each other? But before I go too far down any path, I do want to introduce you to my first guest, Susan Richards. She's a CFO, Chief Financial Officer, the co-founder and managing partner of Number Crunch, which is a cloud-based accounting firm based in Ottawa, Canada. Susan is a sought-after business financial expert, and she is known as a generous mentor, devoting her time as a coach and judge for business startup weekends, and is chair of the board of Invest Ottawa which is an economic growth engine in our nation's capital. And she's also my very best friend. We've been friends since we were four years old. Uh, We've been through bad boyfriends, bad perms, bad decisions. And and lots of good ones. Um, And so, you know, the other great thing about Susan is that she is, um, I've had the pleasure to watch her grow her business to multiple seven figures in really just four or five years. Uh, So Susan, I'm so pleased that you are here joining me and helping me through my first show. And uh, so welcome. Thank you. This is so much fun. Um, I am so pleased to be here and so proud of you and uh, you are truly um, amazing and inspiring to me, and I'm thrilled to see this be the launch of uh, a vehicle that can help you inspire uh, bold breakthroughs for other women entrepreneurs. Well, thank you. And you know, the funny thing is, um, you know, remi- you reminded me earlier this week that it's not our first radio show. <laughs> so set the scene for what it was like when, you know, where we grew up and, uh, you know, what some of those early years were like in, a- in our long life. Absolutely. Well, we met in our first year of kindergarten. We both, um, the photos evidence show that we actually started kindergarten ahead of others. Um, and so we were in it for two years. Um, and that was in, when we were four, we met uh, in a small town uh, fishing village in, called Surrey in Surrey, Prince Edward Island. Beautiful little uh, quaint fishing town with lots of uh, charisma. And we lived uh, what felt like a very long distance from each other when we were that age, but uh, it's about a three-minute walk across a couple of fields uh, where you have to concern yourself with field mice. But we spent many a night and a day 
um, going back and forth. And often storm stayed on winters. If you uh, are familiar with the winters in PEI, um, you can go for a sleepover on Friday and not return till Monday or Tuesday because you can't. <laughs> get across that three-minute field. Uh, so we had lots of fun uh, playing together, and one of the memorable uh, moments that I can recall um, is a radio show that's, that you and I, Sarah, uh, put together with a friend of ours, Belina. She participated as well, and the three of us hosted this radio show. You had the bold vision for it, I believe, and even wanted to run a contest. We were using a two-way radio system, and my dad had a set of walkie-talkies, so we could talk through the walkie-talkies. They would come out. Um, through the speakers, and we would do a talk show. Um, and I remember your contest, you threw out a, a prize of $1 million, and <laughs> I was a conservative accountant type in, in my heart, so I decided to quickly change that prize to 1 million Bic pens, uh, because I thought there was less risk that people would want to collect all of those pens that uh, we wouldn't be able to afford. <laughs> so that oh, that's amazing. Yeah, great giggles. And, uh, and I had completely forgotten about that. So I love, I love that memory. <laughs> you know, the other thing that I think is really interesting, Susan, is that we both grew up um, with family businesses, but they're really, they're really different. Uh, so talk to me a little bit about your family's business. Absolutely. So when we um, moved to Prince Edward Island, so I was originally born in Connecticut, and my parents immigrated to PEI, where my mother had grown up when I was three and my brother was five. And my dad had done some research on franchises and discovered that a Stedman store franchise would be suitable for the community that we were in that didn't quite have something that had that level of variety of departments for that type of population. Our town was 1,500 people, um, and the areas within our county represented about 5,000 people. And so he identified that a, a Stedman store would be a good franchise idea, and he launched it. My mother joined him in the venture. Uh, eventually, she she basically took over the day-to-day -day operations, and he went on to continue to open um, a variety of restaurants, a pizza restaurant, another franchise called Mini Donnell, which is like a small town McDonald's, and uh, video rentals when the VHS uh, rental um, VHS uh, systems hit the town, that technology, um, people could buy them, but they couldn't buy the, the um the rentals. So he um, bought a bunch of movies and uh, distributed them around convenience stores throughout uh, the county. And uh, so I grew up very much in that type of uh, environment inside the fishing village. So my dad being um, from the U.S., not really um, growing up in a fishing farming family himself, um, brought something slightly different to the community um, but all of my friends of course uh, including you uh, I got very much entrenched in uh, the fishing entrepreneurial uh, side which is um, you know we weren't acutely aware of business with respect to fishing or farming really as like growing up in that but um, it absolutely um, of course all the same profiles exist when you talk about risk and uh, strategy and persistence and uncertainty um, those are all the same, um, and so very interesting. I'll toss it over to you to, to talk about your uh, experience. 
Yeah, you know, it's really funny because uh, when I, my, my path to entrepreneurship is quite different than yours. And a number of years ago, when I started my business, after a long, a long history in the not-for-profit sector, I really kind of had this crisis of confidence and, and really had to struggle with, what do I know about business? And it wasn't until someone pointed it out to me that I actually grew up in, you know, in a family that had its own business. Fishermen are so, the, the, the belief of being a fisherman is so entrenched in who they are in terms of their identity that, you know, it, it took someone else pointing that out to me to even, for me to even see that. But absolutely, you know, my dad was so innovative in his fishing and, you know, really funny, he was a, a commercial lobster fisherman when we were kids and he always used to say, in order to catch lobster, you have to think like a lobster, <laughs> you know, really is, is very, uh, so much around you know, that knowing your customer, knowing your audience, he really, really needed to know that. Um, he also, you know, when you, when you think about that, having a niche, I think the thing that, you know, my parents really taught me when we were younger is the value of doing something that you love. My dad absolutely loved fishing. Uh, it was, you know, he was the guy who had the X's marked on the calendar. Setting day, the day that you set the traps, um, was uh, the day before, you know, the, the end of of April, the first day of fishing was the first of May. He would start off, you know, probably mid-January, Xing the days off on the calendar because he was so passionate about what he did and he loved it so much. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And a full family affair as well um, with your mother alongside your father. And I recall um, when they did a stint of chartering as well, uh, yeah. which was very innovative at the time. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit, but using those assets in various ways, um, which was really interesting from a business perspective. Yeah, it is, it is really interesting in that retrospect, right? The things that you, that you recognize in reverse. And so um, my parents, you know, the fishery is very inconsistent, um, you know, and it is uh, one of those things where you can work really, really hard and there are all kinds of factors that impact whether or not you do well. And so they decided in the 80s, um, mid, mid 80s, that they would uh, do a tuna or do a, a, a sightseeing charter. And so then they would giggle and say that they went fishing for tourists rather than fish and they would take um, two two boats a day and they would go um, from our you know just a couple of hours up the shore my dad loved to cook and so he would make this beautiful fish chowder the funny thing was you actually needed to have a a particular license a master class four or five um, so it was this particular license that you needed to run these charters my dad ran the boat his whole life, that wasn't the problem, but he actually didn't have that particular license that he needed to have um, tourists on the boat. So my mom took the training. So my mom was the actual captain of the boat, but, but my dad, you know, really ran the boat. So they were a great team. They really were. And, um, you know, anyway, it was just a, it was a really neat place to grow up. We were really lucky. I, you know, I always kind of describe that we, we grew up with sort of the garden variety challenges, but, um, tell me then, you know, your, your path to entrepreneurship is quite different than mine. So tell me a little bit about yours and, uh, and what that looked like. Oh, I think for myself, um, I grew up perhaps after seeing my parents um, start businesses. Maybe I 
um, from them were inspired um, to just fill out um, solutions for problems. So the area uh, was great for being able to spot um, opportunities. So I had taken dancing lessons throughout my youth. And so there was an opportunity to create a dance studio, uh, which I did. And I called it Eastern Kings Dance Studio and had a bank account. And uh, I think at the time that I launched that I was about 14 years old. Um, And, you know, that was, you just created it. Um, I don't think we really thought about whether these things were businesses. We didn't know labels and, and names. We just Um, provided something. In one summer, I wanted to have a job, um, but I mostly saw jobs that people were, had, uh, friends had that were restrictive. Um, They, when you'd want to go to the beach, you couldn't go to the beach because I have to work. So I manifested a car care business. I actually found a sign that said Four Seasons Car Care, an abandoned building that was on the property from the, the Stedman store that my parents had. And, and so uh, four seasons, um, well, it was open on one season, but it created <laughs> that was, uh, you know, when it was nice weather, but not too nice, I would clean cars. Um, when it was beach weather, like really nice weather, I didn't <laughs> clean cars. Um, so I just, uh, you know, it was a great lifestyle business that I had. I think that was two summers that I had that in high school. I was filthy. Um, but you just, it was easy to spot opportunities and to make them happen. Um, so it was great for seeding that. And then I went off to university and did a bachelor of business major in accounting. I really, I actually wanted to be a lawyer and I thought that was a good foundation. Um, and, and then when I got out of school, when I got my first job doing the books and different office management, um, things actually for my brother's company, um, I, that's when I discovered my love for accounting. So I sort of took this 20 year sidebar exploring (laughs) managerial accounting, which in hindsight is very entrepreneurial. It's really entrepreneurial accounting. It's using accounting as a foundation to fuel business decisions and, and make, and I love that strategy. It's, it feels like a sport to me. And then I uh, decided um, around, I guess, when I hit 40, really, um, that I wanted to do something more myself. Um, so get out of employment and start um, working for myself. And so a number of things happened then, started doing virtual CFO work as an independent contractor, incorporated a business with my uh, business partner, Craig Hong, a, a guy I'd worked really well with um, to, to form uh, Giveopoly, um, which we sold in 2018. And then two years later, the virtual CFO business had grown and expanded to the point where we incorporated a company and started hiring employees to provide back-end support for startups and scaling uh, small to medium-sized businesses. So it was a coming together of all the years. Of um, But early on, I think it was just a matter of having a can-do attitude, seeing that you could spot an opportunity and, and start something um, that would please myself, make some money, and fill a need. That's so cool. And it's, you know, I mean, I, I've been with you along that path, but it's still really, really interesting to for, to hear you talk about those things that, that you did when we were much younger, because, you know, you, you forget those things. Um, and I think, you know, it is really interesting that you talk about how, all of those, all of those things that you did along the way, and all that time that you spent in, you know, working for other businesses, what that did in allowing you to start your own business, 
And I kind of, you know, I see that for myself as well. Um, I was reflecting again just recently that um, I took radio and television arts when I was in, uh, you know, my first year out of high school, which sometimes I, I kind of completely forget about that. But, you know, I really spent most of my career in the not-for-profit sector. And I work for a women's organization. And, um, you know, really my whole career has been helping women make you know, difficult and amazing changes in their life. And I see this as, you know, what I do now is is really an extension of what I've been doing for a really long time. And when I, I think about, you know, around the same time, it's, you know, it's really interesting because around the same time that you had started Number Crunch, I was doing this really amazing and crazy project on PEI called A Bold Vision. And A Bold Vision was... Um, a, a bold vision was a uh, a project where we brought together women from across the country to imagine what the next 150 years could look like in our country. We had a conference, uh, you know, we had all of these wonderful things, and um, and you know, it was the first time. So I worked for a project-based not-for-profit for many years, and so with a project-based not-for-profit. What that means is you apply for funding. You know, you have a good idea. You apply mm-hmm. for funding. They say yes, and then you get a budget, and then you work on your and, – and then you just spend what the budget is. There's no room for spending more. There's actually not really much room for spending less either. And so a bold vision really kind of um, inspired this entrepreneurial spirit in me because it was the first project I had ever worked on where – I um, wasn't, I was working beyond the scope of a budget and I had to find other revenue streams. So, um, you know, it was a really interesting opportunity for me. And with that, I am going to lead us to a break. And when I come back after our break, we're, I'm going to just talk to you a little bit more about my path and then we're going to chat more about uh, Susan's business. <laughs> Welcome back to Breakthrough. It's Sarah Roach-Lewis, and I'm here with my very best friend and entrepreneur, Susan Richards. We are talking today about um, our paths to entrepreneurship, um, how we, the places where they've converged, the places where they've diverged. And so I was just really talking about my long history in the not-for-profit sector. So I worked for a women's organization. Much of what I did was focusing on supporting women to make those dramatic and really positive changes in their lives. Um, And at the same time, working on public policy to make changes at that sort of systemic and structural level for women. So one of the projects that I worked on um, that was amazing is called A Bold Vision. Um, It was an ambitious and kind of crazy project for a small group of of women's organizations organizations on Prince Edward Island to um, tackle, but we did a great job. We hosted a conference, we published a book, um, which was essays of 23 women across our country leaders, their vision for our future. We brought them to PEI, and over three days, while we were hosting a conference, we also uh, worked with them to create a shared vision for Canada, which we then delivered at this um, blown-up plenary um, it, it, where 850 people showed up to listen. It was a truly extraordinary experience. And it 
it stretched me in ways that I didn't know possible. And it really did spark that entrepreneurial spirit. The following year, I started working on another project called Paths to Prosperity. And it was, uh, we were working with women with lived experience with poverty to create a community response to poverty. We talked to 500 people across our province, and it was um, a really difficult and fascinating conversation and project that we worked on. And one of the things that came so, so clear to me is how important it is for women to have economic security and economic prosperity. When women do well, communities do well, families do well. It is just truly one of the best things that we can do uh, to sustain not only our communities, but, but really our world. And so, you know, it was, it was so eye-opening for me in terms of the power of, of work and entrepreneurship for women. And then um, I really kind of came to a place working with the not-for-profit that I was working with that I was ready for a change. And it took me a long, long time to figure out what it was that I wanted to do next. I love my job. I love the things that I was doing. I had great autonomy. I had great flexibility. It was a wonderful place to work in terms of um, being able to work on passion projects. I was able to make, uh, you know, to be part of really impactful changes in women's lives where we live in terms of women's reproductive health and lots of other things. But I was ready to move on. And so I ended up going to work for, well, actually what happened was I said to Susan one day on one of our many, many multiple, multiple hour conversations, I said, I'm thinking of, I think I'd like to get my MBA. And Susan said, why do you want to get your MBA? And I said, because I'd like to learn about business. And Susan said, oh, for God's sake, if you want to learn about business, just go and work in a business. <laughs> true, true. Probably, yeah, probably one of the best pieces of advice you've ever given me, really. So I went and worked for a business and uh, I went and worked for a startup and it was amazing. Um, you know, so much of the skills that I had developed in running a not-for-profit, you know, really when you look at running a not-for-profit that when I started on the management team had revenues in a, of about $100,000 a year. By the time I left, our revenues were, you know, just around the between eight and 900,000. So, you know, having guided an organization through that kind of growth over a number of years, did set me in good stead to go and work for a business. I just didn't realize that at the time. So one of the secret things that I wanted to know when I went to work for this business is, um, could I work for someone else? I had been part of a leadership team and a management team for many years. And the answer was no. <laughs> Wonderful people. Uh, you know, one of the co-founders is a dear, dear friend of mine. But at the end of the day, this entrepreneurial spirit was awoken in me and I just needed to go out on my own. Um, so, so I did. And, uh, you know, it's been a really great experience of, um, you know, going through those bumps and bruises and figuring out uh, all of those things that we need to figure out and find our confidence, which, you know, in those early years of my business was challenging because, like I say, I had this kind of hang up around, you know, well, what can I teach people? What can I do? Well, at the end of the day, you know, what, what I came to is um, 
that there's lots of things that transferred. So while I was going through all of that, you were starting Number Crunch. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, what was the inspiration for starting this business? Well, it was, I, I guess it was that it, it was coming easily. So mm-hmm. I number, um, prior to Number Crunch, I had Giveopoly, um, which was an online marketplace for gift delivery. And I thought the idea of it um, was logical enough. It was aimed at uh, women who had money but no time and they needed gifts delivered and it supported local businesses. So I thought there was enough in that recipe that it, and it had a, a viral nature to it that um, it, that revenues would scale very quickly. And I discovered that that wasn't the case. So there was a, a great eye opening about that type of a business model. And it was a lot of work in a lot of um, areas that just weren't um, my areas of skills and expertise. So I learned because when you're a small business, you learn all the rules. Um, but it got to the point where I, um, a number of years had gone by and it was not having the growth uh I was not getting satisfied from the growth of it. Meanwhile, what was supposed to be just the side business, which was doing some virtual CFO contracts on the side, was taking more and more and more of my time. Um, Very quickly, it was taking 80, 90% of my time because of the demand. And And I, in order to serve those businesses, I was finding that I had to do work that also didn't necessarily bring me joy. Other people could do it. Um, I forget who it was. I think maybe Gloria Steinem who said, uh, do more of uh, what you uniquely do and less of what Mm. other people can do. And I recognize that there's other people um, that I could hire into the team that could help me help more businesses with less of my time and would essentially be able to expand and grow the business. We were combining accountants with bookkeepers, something that had not happened in the industry. So as an accountant and a CPA, um, I recognized that there was um, the word snobbery is a kind of a tough word to use, but admittedly, <laughs> that's fitting. Um, and you didn't find accountants and bookkeepers working together. So we created a solution where they did come together by intent uh, because that's what best serves the entrepreneur. The entrepreneur doesn't understand what they need in our department. And that was our job to be able to prescribe that. So it just, um, I hope that does that answer the question. It came from just this growing demand. I couldn't keep up with the demand. I didn't want to say no. I saw an opportunity to, to, I'll call it easily add employees. Um, I have learned since having that inspiration that it's not easy to add uh, the right employees um, because you have to know exactly what values you're looking to hire. So I have made a number of mistakes along the way as I've uh, understood the the right requirements and um, and therefore hire the, the people that have that. Now I have a fantastic team uh, that I'm very proud of um, and that we depend on and we have, we're, we're working on the scalability to grow even bigger. But originally I don't think I ever, if you had asked me, uh, why don't you open an accounting business? Um, I was even partially a reluctant accountant. It really, the accountant was what I did in school uh, as a means to an end. I never really thought passionately I would become an accountant, but it has, it is part of my DNA. And certainly once I hit the forties, you know what, you know, I consider myself half a entrepreneur, half uh, accountant. And that combination obviously is a good fit for growing this business that we're in. And we're, we, um, so we're, what you and I do share in common, because we, 
we've overlapped so many ways, but uh, people that knew us as kids would not have thought of us as the same. Although we were always connected at the hip, we were very distinctive, different personalities. Um, but I think we've always had that um, creative element where we spotted vision and then um, went to create something new, which is why um, arguably both of us are better suited to entrepreneurship than than trying to align to a vision that was created by somebody else. In your case, they likely wouldn't have had visions bold enough because you've <laughs> always had bold ideas. You've always been on the gender um, theme. I can recall going back to grade eight when you were educating me on the chauvinistic behavior that you saw <laughs> within our school system. And I was with you, girl. Uh, but I don't think I would have had that observation myself. And so you've always had these themes of, of championing a vision and then being able to execute it at the detailed level. So a lot of people can't do both of those things. And those are what you do. You're able to get right into the minutiae of the details in order to implicate or implement change um, while keeping it in the spirit of the vision. And um, I think that's uh, a similarity that we have. We're going in on intent and inspiration as our driving force. Um, yeah. It's interesting yeah. <laughs> it really is, you know, it's so fascinating to, to, to be thinking about these things in that sort of way. And I think, you know, so much of what I really love is this combination of, you know, creating that strategy, getting a really good plan, and, mm -hmm. and then just executing on it. And, and I think what I've learned from you over the years is that playfulness that, you know, this, it's all an experiment. Uh, you know, you can try something. If it doesn't work, you just you know, you just recalibrate, you try something else. And if that doesn't, you know, and, and you find the thing that works, you just do more of that. Um, so I, I think that that's, that is something that we share for sure. Tell me about, you know, if we think about your path and that growth of, of number crunch, which has happened really quickly, mm -hmm. what has been the value for you of having a co-founder? Oh, a co-founder, the right co-founder is priceless. So not every day is a great day. Uh, I think almost every day starts as a great day for me. I'm definitely <laughs> awake and, and feel good at the start of the day. But many things can happen. Uh, there's false highs in entrepreneurship. Sometimes you get these wins that give you more of a, the, I guess it's hard to maintain the ego in a mediocre uh, setting, a neutral setting. And so um, the highs and lows that you feel as an, and I'll speak for myself, that I feel as an entrepreneur um, can swing. And it's helpful to have somebody there so that on my low moments, there's somebody there that can step in um, and, and bounce ideas off. Um, I, it, I think it's faster for me to execute knowing there's a trusted person there than had I not had that individual because I think I would feel I had to ponder things longer, pros and cons list. Instead, I, I can come out with the idea, say, here's what I'm thinking, and then let the other person play the role of the, but what about this? Or perhaps let's delay it here. Or, you know, or some, in some cases, it's yes, absolutely, let's just do it. And um, in those moments, change can happen and decisions to hire, the decisions to uh, put out a new offering can happen within minutes when you have that confidence uh, of another person who not only is going to help you make that decision, but support you in that decision. Um, so I think the right founder, uh, then there's also matching the right um, 
so I, as a business, as a CFO who's worked in, I think I'm about 40 companies providing CFO services to, so very closely with a number of CEOs and um, business owners, I have seen more partners um, beyond just my own partner experience. And, and some have worked really well and others really don't complement each other. So I think the key thing is it has to be something you really trust. You have to be self-aware enough of your own personality and your own traits and where you tend to, to lean and very aware and understanding of their traits too. So if you, um, I, I think those are the things that I, I take into consideration. When I started um, Giveopoly with my business partner at that stage. So that was 2012. And there was a hesitation around partnerships. There was um, investors were actually concerned about partnerships. Like what if you, you don't get along, the company's going to split up. Um, there seemed to be a hesitation back then. These days, it seems to be the opposite. Everybody recognizes it's a lonely being a I mean, I'm a proud entrepreneur, but it is not for everybody and it can be tough and it can certainly be lonely and isolating um, because sometimes there are things going on in the business you can't share with anybody else in the business unless it's a partner. Um, If you have a CFO, I, as a CFO, I'll hear a lot of things too in the cone of silence, but in general, um, I'm a big supporter of finding the right partner and I and honestly I think I just got lucky I think there's I've only met a couple of people in my career that I could have partnered with um, and when I had the urge to start a business I, I you know knew one right at that time so timing was key that is amazing right and I think there are so many times in our business there are so many times along the way where the timing really is part of it. And you know, one of the things that you talked about there, so we're going to go um, to commercial here in just a minute, but I want you to hang tight and think about one of the things that you said that I want to pick up on is this idea about the false highs in entrepreneurship mm-hmm. and in your business. So I, 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 I'd love to kind of pick up that thread and go back to, so what does, um, how do we figure out what it is that we should be measuring? How do we figure out what is that path that we should be going on? And when, when there are these false highs, when there are these markers and measures that we hit along the way that, um, that aren't necessarily the true ones. So I want you to hang tight on that. We're going to go to a commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to pick up that thread with Susan. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit VoiceAmerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. 
Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Breakthrough with Sarah Roach-Lewis. To reach Sarah or her guest on today's program, please send an email to sarah at srl.solutions. Again, that's sarah at srl.solutions. Now, back to this week's episode of Breakthrough. And we're back. Uh, It's Sarah and Susan. And uh, before we went to commercial, Susan was just chatting through. She had just mentioned this idea about some of those false highs in entrepreneurship. So tell me a little bit more about that, Susan, um, particularly from your perspective um, in, in knowing so much about the what's under the hood of all kinds of different businesses. I'd be pleased to talk about it. So I, I think admittedly, I'm still sorting, sifting and sorting through this. Um, I've gone through a number of phases on this. So I went through the phases of here's the standard metrics everybody should uh, measure on. And, and then I saw things um, in the community where people are patting on themselves on the back. So for instance, in the technology sector, it's a real measure of success if you raise money. And that's... Um, you know, even getting a loan is uh, obviously there's are, these are exciting milestones for businesses, um, but having somebody cut a check to you doesn't necessarily mean that you're you've figured out product fit for your market. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be profitable anytime soon. So it's just interesting to have that balance on on different um, metrics. So when I was talking about the general wins on up to from a personality standpoint, like getting through the day, little tiny things can give you such joy. And so uh, getting a new logo, uh, I seeing your logo on, you know, stationary as an example, these things give a real buzz that can last for hours. And so I went through a phase of, of trying to tame that and not feel those highs. Now where I am today, did you take the highs when you can get them and you just flow with it and let yourself feel good about every moment that you can. And the moments that feel very heavy, um, and that could be that um, an employee has uh, told you that they want to move on. It could mean that a client is giving you an indication that they're, they're not happy with their service. Um, it could be that you were expecting three new leads to come in this week and you didn't get any of these phone calls. And so now you're starting to feel this anxiety inside. And I think it's, uh, for me, it's about uh, trying to relax backwards, um, go back to some of the basic, what are the steps that we're doing? So if it's um, growing revenue, um, before revenue happens, there's lots of activities that need to happen. So you need to be able to answer calls uh, for leads. You need to be visible. You need to have your brand out there. Uh, you may need to have a lead generation program in place and then nurture those op- those candidates, those leads that are coming in. So there's helping yourself um, just, uh, I don't know, do what you need to do to get over the, sure. the fleeting moment and then just go back to the basics. Um, I tell people to be careful about vanity metrics. 
Social media is really great right now for learning quickly. Um, so you've always been really academic. And when you want to learn about something, you go through good sources in order to learn. Some of us are a little more uh, a bite a minute kind of thing. You know, you read a, a blog post and a couple of tweets, and then you're feeling pretty good about a subject Mary, a matter. But buyer beware in that. There's some great content on the, the Internet, and there's also a lot of stuff that just has us um, – on a, a bit of a treadmill, I would say, about um, feeling good about um, uh, business. So um, caution to all of those, I guess. Um, I, at the end of the day, I think feeling good is a, a pretty good judgment. Um, and I don't know. Does that kind of yeah. answer? Yeah, sure. Yeah, it does. And I. so here's the thing. I have seen you work to grow this business and it has not always been easy and you have done those you know you have done that insane amount of work where you're staying up too late you are yeah. getting up too early you yeah. are you know one of the things that I, I I admire about you is you've got three boys who are in hockey and you know you you always prioritize um, things with your family and sometimes in the past that has been by not prioritizing yourself mm -hmm. um, so you know staying up too late getting up too early yeah. so tell me what that path has been like for you in terms of figuring out what is that balance how do I do that how do I you know be ambitious and go for the big goals and also not kill yourself along the way Right. Uh, well, I think for myself, um, I, I guess I am a people pleaser. I think if there's a category, uh, I would kind of fall into that. So that's sort of an innate thing. Um, that works well for service businesses. Um, you actually sure. think about your customers and what their needs are and you want them to be happy. But it also means that you then um, sometimes subject yourself to the ridiculousness. Um, as a matter of fact, um, when your father passed away, um, I went and spent a week with you. And prior to a client's board meeting, I pulled an all-nighter at your house, if you recall. I do. Um, because sometimes CEOs are really stressed before board meetings. So I just, you know, felt... I, there were requests of me all through the night and I kept up with them. So I try to limit that, um, but I'm at risk of doing things for family that are overextend. Um, my nature is to say yes. Um, I uh, struggle to say no to things, um, but it's getting easier as I am able to uh, clarify what, where my alignments are and, um, and, and so I, I sort of struggle, well, I, I do struggle with that like everybody else. Um, I'm constantly calibrating. I have a high level of natural energy. Uh, I think I just always have had that, which is helpful. Um, but occasionally I get wake-up calls, like where you have a moment of uh, feeling unwell for some, of just like I have random things like Bell's palsy that happened. Half of my face gets paralyzed for two and a half months. Um, <laughs> unexplained ailments roar at me um, every now and then to remind me that I have overextended. Um, so that is something I will continue um, to monitor and hope. Um, but I, I, you know, I really, I don't feel rest the way some people uh, or rest and relax. That's not really something I do. Instead, what I do is try to provide the variety. So I try to intentionally have time with friends and contribute to relationships that are really meaningful to me. Case in point, um, all the hours we spend talking together. But we also 
overlap that. Like we get to have our time together um, that covers a vast area of topics as well as um, essentially getting the best benefits of business coaching in our conversations too. So I guess some of what I do is overlapping too. So volunteer work that I do aligns to interests that I have. I try to not do something that just, for instance, I was recently asked to do something for the SPCA. Um, That is just not within my passionate areas. Um, I love people that are, that love the animals and I'm thankful for that. They're out there looking um, uh, for them, Um, but it's not on my path. So therefore it was easier for me to be able to say I'm oversubscribed today and therefore uh, trying to limit some of the things that I do. Yeah. And I don't know, like you're, you know, you have a vast assortment of initiatives that you've been working on. Um, throughout the years as well, um, often very bold, requiring a lot of passion and energy and, and in different um, areas. So how have you managed that? Well, I, yeah, I mean, it's a great question, right? And I think, you know, it's a lot of that. I really like that, uh, that comment around, you know, the fact that we, that we um, overlap, because not only do we get our time in together when we have conversations, we talk about business, we talk about our families, we talk about, you know, all the things that are going in our lot going on in our lives. We also do that while we're getting activities. So we live in two different provinces and we go for what we call walk and talks. Um, And so we walk and talk um, uh, generally like at least once a week, but often, you know, sometimes three or four, depending on what's going on. And uh, you know, my family, is really aware that uh, like we just we just do that and on Saturday generally on Saturday mornings we will talk for an hour or an hour and a half and walk that whole time regardless yeah. of how cold or how miserable it is so I think that's definitely one thing um, I started meditating not that long ago um, which you know weirdly is something that um, I learned uh, Transcendental Meditation when I was a kid. Um, My parents were meditators. And so it was one of those things that was always sort of in my life in the background. And when things were sort of stressful or I felt overwhelmed, I would meditate. But it was never anything that I did consistently. But of course, if you um, do any reading about uh, folks who are high performers or, you know, really successful entrepreneurs, meditation is a, a common theme. And so I reached out to my meditation teacher from all those years ago. And, uh, you know, through the power of Zoom, he was in India and uh, I was in PEI and uh, he checked my meditation and I've been doing that for a while. So I certainly feel like that's something that's helpful. Those are great tips. And yeah, I realize now, even as you were talking through that, that we layer on a lot of effective um, combination to maximize time um, yeah. in, in a way that doesn't feel stressful. It feels delightful. Like it's a real treat to um, to go for a walk and talk and we solve some of the world's problems. <laughs> we do. We do. So, you know, tell me, you had started talking a little bit about those choices that you make around your volunteer work. Um, and, you know, one of the things that um, I think is really interesting is your path to uh, your path to really seeing what gender equality could and should look like in your community. So talk to me a little bit about what that looks like for you. 
Well, I so I'm the co-chair of Invest Ottawa here in Ottawa. It's an economic uh, growth engine focusing on um, businesses um, primarily in the tech sector here in Ottawa because our, our community is made up of government and, and the next largest sector is tech. And tech is uh, renowned for being heavily male-dependent. De- um, uh, run. It's uh, the boardrooms are primarily men. The executive teams are primarily men. Um, in STEM itself, in the engineering, um, software, uh, science streams, um, primarily uh, guys coming out of those education programs and into employment. So we're not really working with uh, both genders. And um, so I got inspired. Um, first of all, I was invited to participate on the board of Invest Ottawa um, through my combination of entrepreneurship and accounting. That's what got me at the table. And then as time went on, um, it became apparent that there was a lot we could do. It was a great opportunity to move the needle with gender. Um, I was seeing that theme come up time and and again, and I had actually been called uh, by the CBC to do an interview about the dismal stats in um, women in boardrooms. And so all of that, I guess, was an awakening. Um, Certainly, you and I had talked about it um, more through your work throughout the years. Um, So I was also an active um, participant in those conversations, but more um, from a support and an interest um, than actually doing it, because primarily everybody I worked with was uh, men. At, At that point, I took a look at my own business. And of the CEOs that I worked with, um, only 5% were women. So all of those different things made me spend a lot more time thinking of it. And where I am today is extremely bullish on uh, women in business. I, I, when I, look around, I, I'm excited for the products that we that don't even exist today because women are in uh, overall, most products are um, identified by men, they're created by men, they're designed by men, they're developed by men, uh, they're tested by men. Um, so as a result of that, we're just missing all of that experience. Um, men have done a tremendous job getting um, the technology sector to where it is today. But the potential when you fill the rooms, uh, which are now half empty, I'll call it, um, with women um, and the contributions that women have to make today, they don't need MBAs. (laughs) So, uh, you know, with their experience today, if we were to fill those rooms and have fulsome conversations, the innovation is going to have a lot more color. The experiences are going to be much better um, and I'm talking experience of, of the service, the user experience. So it's going to cascade through throughout organizations, but uh, even I would think more tangibly in the hands of uh, people in products and services that they're using on a day-to-day basis. And so I just think from a, it's, it's my duty um, in the co-chair capacity at Invest Ottawa to do everything within my potential to influence us to work with more women rapidly, rapidly. Yeah. So feel pretty proud. Yeah, and, and, and the work that you've done is pretty extraordinary. And, you know, I think that's such a great point because um, obviously as I've been planning the show and, and, and thinking about all of these things, you've been such a great sounding board on that because you have already, you, you've done this path. Um, you are, you know, understanding what that path has looked like. And one of the things that we really talked about is, you know, you mentioned I am a bit of a data geek and there is this, you know, there, um, 
women, the revenues in women-led businesses, 88% of women-owned businesses have revenues less than 80, or less than 100,000, and just 2% are over um, a million. And so part of the vision for this show is, is that idea that, you know, women who are, who have achieved, um, you know, that million dollar mark, um, and multiple seven figures, and then, you know, into those like super big businesses, these are trailblazers. We're talking about like cutting a path with a machete to get there. And what I really want to see and, and what I see in, in the work that you're doing with Invest Ottawa is that idea that we actually want to broaden that path. It Absolutely. is really important for women, regardless of where you are on that path, to reach back. And, yeah. you know, no longer is it okay to say, well, you know what, it was tough for me, so it should be tough for somebody else. No, no. We actually want to create a super highway of, um, you know, of economic uh prosperity for women with, you know, all of these different businesses creating these products and services, like you say, that we haven't necessarily had the opportunity to have or experience. And that's what's exciting to me is providing these opportunities by hearing from women like you, what has worked, what hasn't worked. And this sense that it's not that we want to have more women just like that 2% that are already there. Yeah. Yeah. We, no. want, we want to have that, you know, that super highway with yeah. all of those entry points yeah. with enough room for everyone. And that's, you know, that's what really excites me. Absolutely. And you helped me see that because we had a number of conversations where you had helped me uh, appreciate the fact that not everybody was like me. And I didn't, I, at first, I never really knew what that meant. I thought that was just a gushing type of compliment. But then eventually I saw it for what it was. It's just truthfully, my, there's a number of things about my skill sets um, and personalities that, um, that uh, we want to just make sure we have more women at the table and all different personalities. Susan, thank you so much for this conversation. It has been an absolute delight. I do want to just take a moment to say if, if people would like to learn more about Susan, um, you can check out uh, numbercrunch.ca. You can also find out more about me at my website, which is srl.solutions. You can subscribe to my newsletter and uh, all kinds of things like that. Uh, in the meantime, I do want to just say that if you enjoyed this podcast, um, I would love for you to subscribe. You can do that wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can certainly come back and listen to me again next week on uh, the Voice America Network. I do appreciate, Susan, your time. And for all of you listening, thank you so much. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to Breakthrough. Be sure to join Sarah Roach Lewis again with another inspiring interview next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we speak again, have a great week.